I'm going to try and go fast this morning, but no promises. Um, the title of my message this morning is The Greatest Need. The Greatest Need. Uh, we've been talking this month, as you can see, it's kind of plastered everywhere. The, the theme of this month is chasing carrots. And if you haven't been able to be with us this month, the, the idea is birthed out of that image that we've all so often seen of, you know, that donkey or the horse that's running forward with the master holding the carrot just slightly out of reach of his master. And so often in our culture, we can find ourselves, although I don't think any of us are actually donkeys in this place, uh, so many of us can find ourselves living a lifestyle like that where we live on this endless quest, this treadmill, to try somehow to make our external lives satisfy us in a way without ever acknowledging that it's our internal reality that must first change in order for us to be satisfied. And so we've slowly been tackling a bunch of issues this month as we've talked about biblically, how does God lay out for us this understanding of, of how do we actually experience? I can remember when my dad and I were talking about, you know, this month and how we were going to structure it. And, and he really made this statement to me about really, which kind of encapsulated the whole message of the month. And that was the statement of when is enough actually enough? When is enough finally going to be enough? And, and so often we can find ourselves, like I said, living on this treadmill, this hamster wheel of life, constantly being convinced that somehow if we can accumulate more, if we could get more, if we could have more, if we could be better, that somehow our life is going to respond in kind and we're going to find ourselves feeling that satisfaction that we so desire. But I found something that trying to meet our needs externally is a lot like drinking ocean water. Is that you could drink a ton of ocean water, right? I mean, you could drink gallons of it and gallons, and although it tastes a little weird, but you're thinking, I'm still drinking what we find that it only in response makes us thirstier. I think that sometimes when we try to satisfy needs on the outside, it only creates an internal reality that makes us thirstier, more desiring, more driven to go after those things. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the greatest need. And, and we're really going to look at it through a lens uh, of, of talking about money and stuff, and especially around the Christmas season where we could be so caught up. You know, I love my dad's intro video, the pastor's video. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, it's so funny. And he says, you know, that we get so caught up in the things, you know, the shopping and the parties and the things and the shopping. And, and so often around the Christmas season, we could have such an emphasis on stuff and getting stuff. And, and I, I want to talk this morning a little bit about this concept of contentment. And what does it look like to be content? You know, I... Recently, my wife and I went on a trip. Uh, we did Thanksgiving with uh, the LaBarge side of my family. They live in San Diego, which we know we suffered and went to San Diego. <laughs> but actually, we did suffer when we got on the plane. Uh, because We had never really flown with a one-year-old before because we only have one one-year-old. Uh, and, you know, we really had this idea that our one-year-old was actually a five-year-old. And so, you know... We got things and really prepped her as if she was five, but it turns out she's, she really is only one years old. And, and, and I can remember getting on the plane, we have all the plans, 
and it really wasn't more than five minutes into the flight that we had exhausted all of our toys, all of our options, and we still had about four and a half hours left in order to occupy her time. And, and if you know uh, my daughter, if you've been around her at all, you know she's not overly content to just sit around. Uh, if you've ever tried to hold my daughter, you'll know that it's really a full-time job to just try to hold her. It's, it's not really holding, it's more restraining. Uh, because really, she, she, she wants to explore, she wants to live, she wants to run, she wants to go. Uh, and so, you know, I found myself on the plane, you know, between Danielle and me, you know, we, we rarely ever fight, but we fought on that flight. Um, <laughs> Because it was, you know, it's me, and then it's her, and then it's me, and then it's her, and then she's back, and she's on the ground, and she's rolling around, and she's doing all these things. And, and to make it worse, I, we were sitting right beside this lovely couple. Lovely, I, I, what I really mean is that I hate them. Um, but, but they were lovely people in that they had their baby in like one of those, you know, the baby Bjorn, you know? My kid stopped going in the baby Bjorn like five minutes after the first time we tried to put her in the baby Bjorn. And this couple had this, I was about a one-year-old, same age, in the baby Bjorn. And this baby sat in there for the entire duration of the, not sleeping. It wasn't like they drugged the kid. Just awake and looking around, but super content to, you know, and I looked over and I, I, I said to her, is, uh, is your baby always like that? <laughs> because I think mine's defective as it is. <laughs> um, and they were like, yeah, she, he's always like this. And I was like, oh, that, that's so nice. I, I hate you. Um, and, and I realized something is that, you know, the Apostle Paul actually talks about it in the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to use today. It's Philippians chapter 4 that we're going to talk about. Um, and we're going to go through in a second. But there's really one verse that I want you to listen for when we get there. Uh, because really, uh, this letter, if you don't kind of know the his history or really the chronology of Paul's life, this, as he's writing this letter, this is really getting to the end of Paul's journey. It's getting to the end of his mission here on earth. And, and in this letter, Paul describes a state of contentment that if we aren't careful, it can feel very natural. When we read the way that he writes about it, and, and as you look through his life, it can almost feel as though, you know, he was blessed with sort of this innate ability to be content in any situation that he would find himself in. He begins to describe this kind of contentment here, but he interjects to make us, the readers, to understand that this contentment that he's talking about is not a disposition that we're born with. But it's a skill that we learn. It's a decision that we make. Because here's the deal. When I think about Paul, I don't think of a low-key, laid-back, easygoing kind of guy. Okay? And this is the, I mean, if you look at his life, it's pretty evident in the sense that he, you know, wasn't even content to preach to the Jews. Right? I mean, this guy essentially, like, raised hell with all the apostles and created just an absolute storm and chaos all around him because he was just so determined. He was so driven. He was just so discontent in that he desired and he went. And we see him arguing with Peter and we see him like essentially at the beginning of his ministry, they kind of had to like ship him away to this spot where nobody could really be around him 
because he was just totally messing things up. I mean, when I think about the Apostle Paul, I don't get this image or this idea that he was an overly content person. He was never okay to maintain the status quo, but yet the most famous verse about contentment came out of his mouth. And that, to me, is very interesting. It's very interesting to me when someone highlights something that in their life you know was not an easy trait for them to acquire. How many of you know that's an attractive quality about people when you see a transformation in them where their disposition was to be a certain way and you see them maybe five years later and they're completely different and you are in awe and are curious about how did you get to be the way that you are. And so as we read this passage in a moment, we're going to realize that he's describing a contentment that, like I said, is not a disposition. It was not something that came natural, but it's a skill that as we read this passage, we're going to realize is that it's something that he learned. That this contentment that he was talking about is a skill that he acquired. And I think about that. How many of you would like to be more content in your life? Right? I mean, the majority of us, I would say, would raise our hands and say that I would like to be able to wake up and go to sleep every day in love with my life, not constantly striving for more. We, we spent the summer doing a series called The Pursuit of Happiness, and that the majority of people in life are not Googling, how can I make more money? The majority of people in life are Googling, how can I enjoy my life more? How can I find more peace? How can I find more contentment? And the Apostle Paul is letting us know here that it doesn't really matter whether we're naturally inclined to be content, but it's a skill that each of us can develop. And that's what we're going to speak about. Now, it's important for us to understand this, as I set up the scripture, that we don't really know where Paul was when he wrote this letter. We know that he was in prison. We think very well he could have been in Rome, but Rome was technically a very large empire at that point, and so we don't know exactly where he was. But I realized something as I read through the scripture that it really isn't important for us to understand where he is physically as much as it is important for us to understand where he is emotionally and spiritually. That as we watch as he writes through this letter, we realize that although he is in prison, he is actually free. It's an important distinction for us to make. And, and actually, let's get to the text, and then I'm going to move forward. Is that he says this in Philippians 4, verse 10 is where we're going to begin. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Long lines, slow Wi-Fi, shipwrecks, you name it, I've been through it. But in all that I have gone through, I have learned Learn to be content, whatever the circumstance. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He says that I have learned that situations do not regulate my satisfaction. That I live outside of what's happening around me. 
He says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's funny how sometimes we quote that scripture and think it means one thing, but really the Apostle Paul is talking about something completely different. 14 says this, Yet I was, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me. And the, you know, this was kind of like a love letter, kind of like a, you know, a thank you letter. But Paul was, he was, thank God he didn't write love letters to my wife, you know, because he, I don't think he really got the idea of what a love letter was supposed to be. He says, there's not one of you shared with me and the manner of giving and receiving except for you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What he's saying here is, I'm good. I understand how to live in every situation. So thank you, but I was good whether you sent it. I was good whether you didn't send it. What I desire is that more would be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. This is a man who's writing from prison. Right? Like, this sounds like he's living in the palace at this point, you know? I'm amply supplied. He said, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are fragrant offerings, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. And my God will meet all your needs according to his, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is what I want to understand. I want to know, how did Paul start this passage out writing about him being in prison and he ends up talking about their needs? He starts out talking about where he is and what's happening in his life, but he ends his letter as if he's absolutely not concerned or bothered at all by what's happening in his life. And to begin this, I think that we have to start to understand this concept of contentment. I think that we have to start because I think there has been a general misunderstanding of the nature of God. That really that God is a God of restrictions, that he gave rules and regulations and, you know, set out the Ten Commandments and all the different covenants and everything that he did. He wrote the book of Leviticus. And sometimes there could be this misunderstanding that he's actually a God of restrictions. But as I study the word, as I get in moments like we had this morning of worship in his presence, as I observe creation, I realize that God is actually a God of endless permission and abundant blessing. That everything he gives, the rules, the regulation, the blessings, the permission, everything that God gives is designed for one purpose. And the one purpose, whether we see it, we don't see it, whether we understand it or we don't understand it, God gives us everything to bring us into freedom. This is important as we, as we walk through this. We see it really in the life of the children of Israel in Egypt, right? They were, they were in the land of bondage. In fact, if you were to go through the passage of Scripture that talks about them, it talks about that they lived in the house of bondage, right? That, that every meal they ate, every moment of their life was lived in bondage. 
And we see that the very first thing that God did, you know, after he, you know, did the Red Sea, he gets them out of Egypt, he gets them all the gold, he leads them. The very first thing that God is very interested in doing after he gets them out of Egypt is he began the process of getting Egypt out of them. Because I tell you something that I've learned in my life, that's actually the hard part, right? I've realized that it's not hard to get a miracle. You know, it's not hard for something amazing to happen in your life. What the actually the difficult part is not to go back to the land of bondage that God gave us a miracle to get out of. Bringing us into freedom is the easy part, but teaching us how to live in it often in our lives is a lifetime pursuit. Because I realize for many of us, freedom isn't common. It's not, it's almost not comfortable. That as I talk to many of the people that I talk to and interact with them, I realize that more often than not, most people would rather live in their dysfunction because it's predictable than step into something that's new and also good and lovely and pure. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about, is that God's desperate desire for us is that we would be free. That's what the message of contentment is all about. I got the message of contentment confused for so many years as if I'm supposed to just be okay with the way that my life was. And it was so difficult for me because I have dreams for the future. And so it felt almost as though contentment was the antithesis of dreams. But I realized contentment has nothing to do with my future dreams. It's not discouraging me from believing that I'm going to have a great life. The message of contentment is the mechanism that God uses in order to get Egypt out of me. Contentment is what God uses in order to get me free from needing to chase down things and run down things and run after success and run after money and run after status and run after glory. All the things that are going to divert me from becoming the person that God so desperately desires me to be. It frees me from, for the sake of this message, chasing carrots. It frees me to enjoy my Christmas this year. It frees me to enjoy my family, to enjoy whether I like my gifts or I don't like them, to enjoy whether the food is good or the food is not good, whether it was hot or cold, whether your house was clean enough or whether that person stained your new couch. All right, maybe not staying in the couch. That's false. But God's highest desire in our life is that we would be free. And, and this is so often, I think it's so funny that as I read through this passage, it's kind of paradoxical in the sense that God is giving us this call to freedom. Or the Apostle Paul is giving us really this passage, this breakdown of freedom. But while he's talking about freedom, he himself is actually not free. And I've learned something that oftentimes God invites us to demonstrate things or to step into or to personify things that sometimes feel contradictory to what may be happening on the outside. I think that sometimes that could be the most difficult thing about living a lifestyle of faith and 
where so many people kind of stumble is how the scripture says that they would call those things that be not as though they were. They stumble because we're expected to say something. We almost feel as though we're hypocrites, liars, that we're fakes. Because we're saying something that we don't, but we realize Paul preaching to people, imploring them to be free while he himself was in prison. And so I realized something that Paul is making a distinction between what's happening externally and what's happening internally. So often we use our external realities to dictate or determine what our inward realities are. But the Apostle Paul is letting me know that who I am on the inside is significantly different. That if you judge me, judge my credential based on what's happening outside, you're going to miss the message of who God has made me inside. So let's continue. By this point in the book of, uh, in, in, in the book of Philippians, in chapter 4 where we are, Really, at this point, right, this is kind of the, the close of his letter, right? He's pretty much said everything that he wants to say. And if you've ever had a chance to read through the book of Philippians, you'll know that really the book of Philippians is a book about freedom. Is that Paul is, it's about a decade after he planted the church. And he's kind of like going back through and looking at them and really preaching them a message about being free. Right? We read in chapter 1, and he'll tell you about his freedom from fear. Right? In the sense that we read in chapter one where he talks about, you know, I don't care whether I live or die. Right? Now, was Paul suicidal? No, he was not. Okay? But you see, Paul was free from fear because he understood that when I die, there's going to be a massive party in heaven that's waiting for me. And I really want to party with Jesus. Right? I mean, like, I think that's going to be a cool party when we finally get to go to heaven and party with the guy who made parties, okay? But Paul then goes on to say, but if I stay, it's cool because I'm gonna continue to do the work of Jesus only to make my party even larger when I, went to when I go to heaven. So really I'm torn because it doesn't matter to me where I go. He stripped everybody the ability to somehow govern or dictate his life. I think that's why he wasn't bothered being in prison. He wasn't bothered. There was no judgment that people, it was like when Jesus hung on the cross. They couldn't take anything from Jesus. Chapter two, he talks about being free from his flesh. Oh man, I would love to be free from my, free. I can't even say free from my flesh. It just doesn't want me to even say that. I'd love to be free from my flesh. I'd love to be free from my feelings. I love to be free from my moods, being able to dictate to me whether or not I like my life. And then something happens in the letter, which is where we find ourselves right now, is that he's done writing his letter. At this point, you know, he calls out two people. You know, they were fighting, and he calls two people out by name. I thought to myself, that's probably the worst way to get your name in the Bible, right? I'm in there because I got rebuked. That's a bummer. Uh, and then he says this, he says, oh yes, and. Now, I, I got that from a commentary. Uh, it's not actually in the English translations, uh, translation, but you know, whether, I, I guess they didn't think it was beneficial to include it. 
But I saw it as this, this passage of scripture where we are, it's almost as if it's a PS, you know? Remember writing those letters, like when you, like, I remember writing them when I liked, you know, a girl. And it was always like, you know, love Alex, PS, I love you forever, right? <laughs> it's not like so, something's really ridiculous like that. But you know, I, and this is really, I think that what it is, it's kind of like Paul is done saying everything he's going to say, and he says, oh yes, and, like, PS. It's so weird to me that two of Paul's most famous scriptures are found in the PS. Right? We know Philippians 4.13. This scripture, you know, it's, it's basically like the weight room scripture. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? You know, typically accompanied by like a bodybuilder or like an eagle bodybuilder, depending on how Christian the gym is, you know. The second one is that my God shall supply all your needs, your financial ones, your spiritual ones, your, the invisible ones, the tangible ones. God will meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You know, I like the idea of this PS because I felt like what Paul is doing is he's inviting us into the PS or what we're going to use today for the topic is the perspective shift, the PS, because I want to know how to have a perspective shift. I want to understand what Paul understood. I want to know how to get to that place with God where there's nothing that I desire that's outside of Jesus. I think that's what true contentment is. True contentment is that whether it's up, down, good, bad, doesn't matter because I understand that I'm with Jesus like that confession. I'm good. Not because everything out here is good. I'm good because I am with Jesus and Jesus is with me. So I wrote this a few notes down as I get ready to close. It's this. Number one, you have to remember to rejoice. Remember to rejoice. You know, I, uh, I can sometimes be forgetful. And actually on this morning, it's very providential that I would write these notes because my daughter, I had to get a ride in this morning with Mike uh, because we believe it was my daughter. It could very well have been me. Uh, but she hid the only keys to one of my cars. Um, and unfortunately, this is not uncommon in the McDonald house. Typically, every time we leave, it's a frantic scramble to try to find that one lost item. It's very convenient now that I have a one-year-old because I can really just blame her for everything that I lose. You know, I forget my keys. I forget my wallet. Danielle has this funny habit of, you know, she leaves and we say, bye, honey, love you. And I know she's going to come back in. Probably two or three times she's going to come back in because there's things that she forgot. But I can I tell you something Forgetting your keys is not the worst thing that you can forget. The worst thing that we can forget is what God has done for us. How he's blessed us. How he's kept us. How he's preserved us. How he's anointed us. How he's called us. How he's met us. How he's been with us. I tell you something, I don't care. Well, I care when I lose my wallet. But I care to remember. You know, sometimes we come to church. I remember to brush my teeth most days. 
But sometimes I can forget to bring my praise. I can forget to stir up my spirit. And that's really what worship was. Wasn't worship so amazing today? Even like the lyrics to the songs that she was singing were like, wow, Jess, we're like, we're flowing hand in hand here. But that's what worship and worship leaders do. Worship leaders, they say, come on. They remind us, lift our hands because God is worthy of our surrender. They remind us why we praise. They remind us that regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of whether things are working out the way they're supposed to work out, that God is and will forever be worthy of our praise. But I love what he says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, I think about why did God say again, I say rejoice because I realize it's crazy. I don't know about you, but it's crazy how quickly we forget things. In fact, I really have, it's actually so interesting to me that I began to like study the human mind and brain and things like that. And it's actually amazing how selective our memory is. That they say that essentially when you recall memories, that really, I think the statistic is as staggering as only 50% of your memories are actually accurate. The other 50% have been embellished. That every time you tell a story, you slightly embellish it more and more, but you, your brain remembers it in a way as if that embellishment is actually the truth. Which, that's a message in itself, folks. I would call it remember to forget, right? But it's amazing how selective it can be. And I realized something that we can take this selectivity of our memory and we can actually make it work to our advantage when we remember to rejoice. Because here's the deal. It's really the season that we're in right now is that when we evaluate our life, right? We evaluate a year. We come to the end of one year, the beginning of the next year. It's really essentially like our mind makes a movie of all the things that happened inside of our year, right? Essentially, that's what a memory is, as we recount our life, our brain is taking all this input, all the things that we remember to remember, and it's making a movie about our life. And I thought that this was so amazing. And that is that some scenes we delete, some scenes we enhance, but God gave us the editing software to be able to make the movie anything that we want the movie to be. That's way more interesting than how you responded, but that's cool. <laughs> Just awe. That what gets kept determines the revelation that we have, the faith that we walk in, and the contentment that we enjoy. And I've realized the power of this. In Hollywood, they call it the final cut. And with the final coming, how many of you have ever watched like deleted scenes, right? You know, you watch those things, they're like, you know, bloopers or deleted scenes. And that what a movie producer does is they kind of just gather all the scenes, right? If you were at the, uh, the drama presentation that we had, Christmas is canceled, you'll, you would have seen me up on there. I was a security guard in case you didn't realize I was in security outfit. You may not have recognized me, but I was in it. I actually wore two shirts to make myself seem a little bit more security-like. But I'll tell you, that wasn't the only scene that I shot. I actually shot another scene 
that Tim <coughs> probably cut. <laughs> Wasn't you? It was him. I tell you something, God has given us the final cut. That God has given us the ability to remember what we want to remember and forget what we want to forget. I realize the power of that is that if I simply just remember all the times that God showed up and forget all the times that I felt as though he didn't, man, the movie of my life, when I recall, it's like when David said, I remembered the lion and the bear. And I realized something, surely there were more fights that David had rather than just two. But what? He created a movie in his mind that he needed in order to get him where he wanted to go. I have the editing software, and I realized something, that I don't bless God in spite of the battles. I rejoice, and I bless God because of the battles, because I'm the one who's writing the story. It doesn't matter how impossible it is. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. It doesn't matter if no one ever was able to do it. I'm the one who gets to write the end of this story. And because of that, I choose like Paul said, I learned, I choose to rejoice. Number two, you have to appreciate the seasons. I promise I'm almost done. Now, appreciate the seasons. When he talks about this, the, the Apostle Paul says that you renewed your concern for me. And now, this is, this is a little bit of a, like it's a technical nuance or a, a, a translational nuance because it doesn't really give the image behind the language of what the Apostle Paul is saying. And it's a Greek expression that I certainly am not going to try to do. Um, but really, if you were to translate the word that the translator said renewed, the actual word is described as this, that you cause your concern to bloom or to blossom again. And the imagery that the Apostle Paul is using here is he's saying that there are seasons that we experience in life. He's saying that I've made it through winter, and I'm certainly glad that your affection and your love, the springtime of your love for me, is blossoming again. Now, here's the deal. is It's important to discern the seasons of our life if we're going to live in contentment. Because here's the deal. There are going to be some... Shield your eyes, mom. <laughs> there are going to be some losing seasons. And we see this in sports. And, and, and this, is how they, this is how they talk about a season in sports. They say, this year is a rebuilding year. Yeah. And I've realized something, that the rebuilding year is code for, we know we suck right now. But don't lose hope. We're really trying to do something about it. And some seasons in our life, like, let me think about how to say this. Some seasons in our life, they suck bad. You know, right now, God bless the North. I love it. But right now, the days are short, the nights are long, the weather is cold. Maybe in your life right now, you feel lonely, you feel barren, you feel empty. But I'm here to tell you something this morning. It's just a season. Don't confuse the season and the story. 
I think the worst thing that can happen in our life is we confuse the season for the story and we get stuck. I think that's the biggest thing that God would have us to know is that a season is temporary. Just the same way that the season blew in is the same way that the season is going to blow out. And the worst thing we can do is to get stuck in a season in our mind. God is trying to bring us out and we remain stuck. And Paul says it like this, it was a long winter, but I'm choosing to see it just as that. I'm choosing to see it as a season. Because here's the reality, even when we look in the agricultural world, we understand that there's a season where ground must be fallow in order for it to, in the future, produce the crops, in order for it to produce the life that it's destined to bring. We read it in Paul's letter when he says this, I know what it is to have plenty, and I know what it is to be pruned. And he says this, don't base, listen, don't base your life based on what's happening on the outside, because both seasons are growth. Doesn't John tell us that? That when God loves us, his act of love is that he prunes us. He shapes us. He shears us. He molds us so that we can in the future. But if I get confused with the season and the story, I'll take the pruning as pain. I'll take the pruning as disapproval. And I can get stuck in my story. I tell you this morning, the key is to be as content in one season as the other. My last point is this. This will be my third and final close. <laughs> Write this down. Don't confuse the supply with the source. We see this in the, we talked earlier about the Israelites and you know, when they got out of the, uh, uh, Egypt and Moses goes up onto the mountain and we see really what God is doing is God brings Moses up into the mountain. He gives him the Ten Commandments. And really he's giving him the, the, the scrolls, the keys to experience freedom. He's giving them the keys to getting Egypt out of them. And if we pan the frame and we see what the Israelites take all the gold that God gave them as he did a miracle to get them out of Egypt that they carried across the Red Sea. They use this gold to make a calf. They replicate the lessons that they learned. They got confused. They thought the supply was the source instead of remembering that God is the source of the supply. Let me tell you this. This is why the apostle Paul said it like this. He said, I rejoice in the Lord for the gift that you sent me. You see, Paul wasn't confused. He wasn't confusing the supply with the source. He said, I didn't rejoice in the gift. I didn't rejoice when it went the way I wanted it to go. I rejoice in the one who gave the gift. I believe that he wants the Philippians to understand a very important lesson about contentment. That it's not about the supply. It was never about you. Philippians, I'm so thankful that you obeyed. I'm so thankful that you did what God asked you to do. But I'm going to deliver to you a hard message. I don't need you. I just need Jesus. Too often we look at the supply as the source. 
But the supply is finite, Dad. The source is infinite. How many of you know the supply runs out? How many of you know you could have a huge dinner on Christmas? But if that's the only supply you got, eventually, no matter how bountiful it is, the supply always runs out, but the source. How many of the Bible says God was the same yesterday, today, forever? The same miracle working power that God used in order to create the earth is the same miracle working power that God is going to use to create your best Christmas. I tell you, God is not short because he is the source. Paul says it like this, I rejoice in the Lord. However God blesses us, whoever God uses to do it, remember this. It wasn't your hard work that made Christmas possible. Wasn't that great sale that they had at Toys R Us? It wasn't the 10 days of Christmas on Amazon.com. That is the supply. God is my source. Can I tell you something? Here's the secret to being content. Keep your eye off the stuff and keep it on the source. It's like this, right? These speakers here. They're nice, right? These are nice speakers. How many of you know they are not the preacher? God got you a new car. And ooh, it's a nice car. It smells so good. It's so fresh. No one can eat in this car ever. But can I tell you something? Don't confuse the leather for the Lord. God gave you a relationship and that's great. I have an amazing wife and I absolutely love her. But I tell you something, my wife, as amazing as she is, she is not God. She is not the source of my happiness or my contentment. My expectation of life does not rest on her shoulders. Whether I have a good day or a bad day, doesn't matter whether my car starts or it doesn't start. Those things are my supply and God is my source. God is my source. He is our source. What does that mean? It means this. Every step I take, he is my source. It means every move I make, he's my source. It means everywhere I go, he's my source. It means however it looks, he's my source. Whether it's good, it's, he's my source. If it's bad, he's my source. Whether it goes the way I want it to go or it doesn't go the way I want it to go, he's my source. God is our source. And here's the thing. We don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know. The Bible says it like this. It's always darkest. The moment before the dawn. Don't confuse the season. Don't confuse the source. And when I do that, what happens? My heart is alive because like Paul, as he writes this letter in chains, doesn't know how his life is going to go. He could die today, die tomorrow. He could never be free. But he says this, none of these things move me because I am. I'm free. I'm free from the way things look. I'm free from the way things feel. I'm free to love this moment 
and every moment that's to come. Because I realize he is my source. He's my savior. He's my father. Stay with me so I can pray over you. Let's just take a, just a solemn moment, just with every head bowed and every eye closed. Just for a moment of privacy and concentration. Because I know whether you'd raise your hand or not, I know every single one of us desires to experience this in our life. Like Paul said, whether they let me go from prison, whether the situation changes, whether I get to come back to you, whether I get to see you again, doesn't matter to me. I will never leave this place of confidence in the provision of God. Heavenly Father, this morning as each of us stands, Lord, it's our desire to cut the cord on the carrot, to no longer run after things that we know we could never attain, and to run after you. You are the source of our life. You say you're the father to the fatherless, the friend to the friendless. You are our help in our time of need. Teach us what it means to be content. To be content in our relationship with you, in the life that you gave us, in the season with our in, with the supply that we have. Teach us what it means to be content. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. If you believe it, say amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.